All right, turn to your Bibles, the, uh, Daniel chapter 4 and chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, you can jump right on board. They'll be on the screens for you, but if you've got a Bible, go ahead and get there. We've been in a series called Daniel. Uh, again, if you're new with us, don't worry, you can jump on board. I'll recap a little bit here in the beginning, but if you missed anything, we have it online. You can watch all of our uh, messages right online. You can uh, stream the audio or watch the video or, or whatever you like. You can see me do my matrix jump over today. Uh, that'll be online for you, um, but we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and jump into Daniel chapter 4 and chapter 5. So we're going to cover two chapters today um, because there's actually a, uh, in Daniel chapter 4 and 5, there's a theme, uh, there's actually a, a pattern uh, of what's happening in Babylon. And so uh, I want to talk about that today. In fact, the message today is called the Pride Monster. I figured I'd go with the theme of all these monsters and things in Mario, but it's called the Pride Monster. And pride is a monster. And we're going to see that today in these two chapters. Uh, but I really w- wanted to kind of just uh, really recap, since uh, many of you are, are jumping in or here for XP or here to support your, your, cran- your grandkids or your kids. But um, in Daniel chapter 1, 2, and 3, uh, the Bible is written not necessarily in chronological order, so if you were to read, you know, open your Bible and read, it's not like a book in a sense of where it, uh, it goes day one and chronologically through history, but um, you'll see it's kind of, it's written in, in grouping. So there's, uh, you know, Genesis and Exodus, those are the, the books, those are the, called the Pentateuch, the books of the five, first five books of the Bible, that's uh, very important five books, and then, uh, you know, it's, it's just separated in different sections. There's poetic books, there's uh, songs, there's uh, there's all kinds of uh, different breakdowns, minor prophets, major prophets. So it's broken down into sections like that. So you may be reading a one chapter like in Kings uh, that uh, is talking about one time span of history and then it will skip to another time span of history. So if you're new to the Bible, that's why sometimes you're reading it, you're like, I'm confused, what's going on here? But um, I just want to kind of give you a recap because Daniel in chapter one, two, three, and four, it spans f- over 40 years of history. Uh, now when you read it, it seems like it's happening like, well, that happened and that happened next, but it uh, between chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4 are 40 years, and between some of those chapters are 15 and 20 years, but it's recording events that happened in Babylon and in Daniel's life, and uh, they're historical events that truly happened, and so that's what I want to share with you about today, but just so when you jump in, especially if you haven't been part of this series, just so you can understand uh, where we're at when we look at these things, uh, but I really got three points for you today, and I wanted to share first one uh, is that God revealed his pride, and I say his, I'm talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. He's the king over Babylon, and God revealed his pride pride to him uh, in a unique way. Uh, so uh, Nebuchadnezzar is the king over Babylon. It's, it's one of the, uh, if you know anything about history, it's one of the most powerful nations uh, that's been on the earth beyond King David and King Solomon. Babylon uh, you know, took, over, took over Israel and took over Jerusalem, and then they began to rule as a power called Babylon, and they took captives the Jews. So Nebuchadnezzar was the king that went into North Israel and South Israel and took captive uh, all the Jews, especially Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's where, that's where we're at in history. And so they took them captive. They also took a lot of the, um, so when they, when they invaded Israel and they invaded Jerusalem, they also uh, destroyed a lot of the uh, temple, the, the temple. They destroyed a lot of the houses, a lot of the things that were built there, they destroyed, but they took the important valuables. They took the treasures, the storehouse of God. They took all of that and they put it into their treasuries. And so um, that's kind of where we are. And so God is beginning to reveal. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar took Daniel uh, captive and he took uh, uh, many other Jews captive, but we only hear the four because they're, they're, pri- they're primary leaders in Babylon. They, they, these four guys stood out apart from the rest. And 
Um, but Nebuchadnezzar was the king over this great nation, and he's literally conquering many, many nations and absorbing them and taking them captive, taking their treasuries. He's doing this over and over and over again, and it's becoming a big world power. Uh, and so that's what the nation of Babylon, and he's the king. And so it's a very powerful nation, probably in that day, that's the most powerful nation on earth. Uh, you know, a lot of times we live in America, and we think about all the major world powers and how powerful Americas, uh, that's Babylon. They are the major world power. They are the strongest nation on the earth at the time, and Nebuchadnezzar is their king. Uh, now, Nebuchadnezzar had an issue. Now, God uh, is, the one thing I love about Daniel, and one thing I love about God is, is God continued to speak to Nebuchadnezzar. Throughout his, uh, his reign as king of Babylon, he revealed himself multiple times to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar didn't worship God. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar didn't really open his heart to God. Uh, now, he believed in a lot of gods, so that's kind of one of the, one of the beliefs out there, polytheism, that there's many gods, there's thousands of gods and millions of gods, and, uh, and our God and Jesus would be one of those gods. So he, that was kind of his philosophy or his thinking, is that there's you know, gods over money, there's gods over fertility, there's gods over everything. Uh, so that's kind of what he thought, but he never uh, came to a place uh, after... Uh, certain events after God revealed himself to worship the one true God. Now, he did have moments where he'd make decrees and say, okay, this is the God of gods, uh, but he, he never came to a place to worship God as singular, the only God in the world. Um, so uh, there were dreams that, Dan, that Nebuchadnezzar had. There was a, in chapter uh, two that we, we went over in chapter one, he had a dream and uh, it bothered him, and he couldn't interpret it. And so here we are in chapter four. He has another dream. This is a second dream. Uh, and if you remember anything, if you've been with us, uh, he had the dream interpreted it, but it wasn't by his counsel. It was the wise counsel he had around him. Couldn't interpret the dream, couldn't tell him the dream. So there was Daniel who said, hey, I'll interpret the dream. Uh, it was miraculous. He didn't know the dream at all. Nebuchadnezzar didn't tell him what the dream was. Daniel had to receive that from the Lord, what the dream was and what the interpretation was. And miraculously, he did that. And Nebuchadnezzar was blown away. He was blown away, first of all, by Daniel being able to do that, but he's blown away by what God did through that dream. So he's had encounters with the living God. He's had encounters with God, um, but he never, he, he didn't come to a place to let that affect him, or let that change him and transform him. He had a moment, uh, but again, there are spans of time in his life where he had this dream in chapter one. Uh, then we remember last week we talked about the fiery furnace, how he threw uh, the same people, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that he promoted, that he put in charge. He had them thrown into the furnace, and miraculously God saved them in the furnace, and Nebuchadnezzar himself saw Jesus in the furnace. We talked about that last week. Uh, again, uh, there's a time span between the furnace and where we are today in chapter 4, there's probably about 15 or, or 15 or so years between those two events, but he's forgotten the miracle. He's forgotten about what God did there, and he's continued again in his own pride and his own selfishness and continuing to lead the nation with, with brassness and manipulation and, and all of these things and, and worshiping all these other false gods. Nebuchadnezzar is constantly, even though God has been graceful and God has revealed himself to him, he's continually walked away from God. And so God is revealing his pride. Uh, so Nebuchadnezzar one day has another dream. I've got a, kind of a picture. He has a dream, uh, whether he was sleeping or just daydreaming or just laying out on a day like this, but he has a dream of a massive tree, a massive tree. And a dream, in the dream, he sees this tree and he, it bothers him again. And, uh, and he's, he's struggling to understand what the dream means. But he knows there's meaning to the dream and he knows that God is speaking to him. So he wants somebody to interpret again. So who do you think he calls again? 
Not yet. He calls all the other wise people before Daniel again. Yeah, now, he should have learned. I understand. I'm like you. Why, why would you call all those wise people again, the, the astrologers and the soothsayers and the fortune tellers, uh, when they couldn't do it before? Uh, you know, I, De, or, uh, Nebuchadnezzar would have definitely remembered that he had this dream earlier, 20 plus years ago, and he's having a dream again. He would have definitely remembered this situation. Uh, but for whatever reason, he calls the same wise men and they could not interpret the dream to him. So then he calls Daniel again, which is the same pattern that he did the first time. Uh, now, maybe you're like me and you're asking why. Why would he do that? I don't know. Uh, we can only make our opinions, but my, my thought is, is that these wise guys, uh, these wise people, the astrologers, and all these uh, very smart people that were around him, I believe they were yes men. I believe they were people that liked to fluff him up, and <laughs> you know, they liked to you know, say things that would encourage him, or, or, or really just exalt him, or honor him, or really just keep speaking to the pride that was in him. And so, I, I don't know, we only have a couple instances where it describes this, but I'm sure a lot of the times these guys are saying kind things to the king, and, and really exalting his ego, and he really appreciated that. So they were always probably around him, but when things like this happened, uh, they really couldn't answer for him, and he would call on Daniel. And it's interesting how he describes Daniel, that Daniel has uh, the, the Holy Spirit of the Holy God inside of him, which is an interesting description, isn't it? And so Daniel came and began to interpret this dream. So that's where we are. Uh, he has this dream about this massive tree. Now, if you read chapter four, it kind of goes through the same dream twice. Once Nebuchadnezzar's explaining it, and the second time Daniel's interpreting it. So I'm going to go right to the interpretation because it says the same thing, but it gives you the, the meaning or understanding of the dream. So if you turn to chapter 19, uh, or I'm sorry, verse 19 of chapter 4, that's where you'll see the interpretation, and that's where I'm going to start today. Uh, so starting in verse 19, again, it'll be on the screens for you. It says, Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream, then the king said to him, Belshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. Now, Belshazzar is Daniel's Babylonian name. He, re he renamed everybody. So if you're new with us, just so you can tell, that's Daniel. Uh, so I'll just use the name Daniel so you're not confused. Daniel replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my lord, and not to you. The tree you saw growing very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see, it had... Uh, Fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade. Birds nested in the branches. That tree, your majesty, is you. For you have grown strong and great. Your greatness reaches up to heaven and your rule to the ends of the earth. Then you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven saying to you, cut down the tree and destroy it. Now that would have been a hard thing to deliver, wouldn't it? That tree's you and the, and the maker, the holy one, God himself is going to cut you down. But leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals of the field for seven periods of time. Remember seven periods. I'll explain that in a little bit. Uh, this is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High has declared will happen to the Lord King. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will, be, will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive the kingdom back again when you have learn that heaven rules. King Nebuchadnezzar, please keep my advice. Listen to this. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you'll continue to prosper. And so this is the dream and this is the interpretation. Now, 
How many of you, if you were Daniel and you saw the dream, I, I love that the Bible gives us this description. So Daniel sees the dream and before he even speaks it out of his mouth, he's astonished. I mean, think about it. He's seeing the dream knowing that this is gonna happen, that Nebuchadnezzar himself is gonna be chopped down and he's gonna become like a wild animal and he's gonna live in a field for seven periods of time. He's astonished, but he's also fearful of, the interpret of giving this to Nebuchadnezzar, A, because he's very prideful, B, because he threw his friends in the furnace, C, because there's been lots of problems uh, throughout this time. But I love that even, even King Nebuchadnezzar realizes that Daniel's struggling with what it means. And he says, hey, don't be afraid of what the interpretation is. Please give it to me. And Daniel does. What an amazing amount of faith it takes to stand before a king who's full of pride, who has tried to kill you and your friends multiple times. And he's standing there saying, king, you're going to be chopped down. And not only are you going to be chopped down because it's because of your pride. Here's the amazing thing about the message that I hope you walk away with today is that Babylon was the greatest nation on earth at that time. And they weren't destroyed because a more powerful nation came and took them over. They were destroyed because of pride. Because a king and a people and many kings were so full of pride that God took that nation away. And he told them this would happen. If you remember the dream earlier, this, now this dream would have been 30 years before the tree dream, 30 years before he said, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the greatest nation. Your head's made of gold, but there's going to come a nation that's made of a different metal. It's the Medes and the Persians, and they're going to take you over. So this dream, now maybe Nebuchadnezzar, maybe because so much time has passed, 30 or 40 years, and it hasn't happened, maybe he's doubting. I don't know, Daniel, that, that, that dream has been 40 years ago, and they haven't taken over. I'm still the strongest nation. I'm still the strongest. He's still full of pride. But in this dream, Daniel says, look, it's over, Nebuchadnezzar. Your pride, God is going to cut you down. And you're going to live like a wild beast. Imagine that, like a wild ox. You're going to live in this field for seven periods of time. Now, maybe that doesn't mean anything to you, seven periods of time. But here's what it means. I'll interpret it for you. Because in Daniel, in another chapter, just a few more chapters, we'll go over this a few, months, or a few weeks from now. Uh, seven periods, each, each period of seven means one year. So for seven years... He's going to live as a wild ox in a field, eating the grass for seven years. Now, maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, that's, that doesn't seem like very graceful of God. That doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. You know, maybe we're sitting here looking at this as a bystander saying, why would God do something like this? But let me just, let me just look at it. Let's, let's look at it from God's heart. God's being very graceful of Nebuchadnezzar. He hasn't worshipped him. He's revealed himself to him multiple times. He miraculously changed history. When, when Nebuchadnezzar threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace to die, God saved them. At any point along the way, God could have taken Nebuchadnezzar out. God could have sent the Medes and Persians to take him out. God could have taken his life because of the, uh, the constant blasphemy that he was doing. But he didn't. And I love that what you're seeing is a graceful God given opportunity. I love that God knows everybody's name and God cares about every single one of us. Even if you're not a believer, even if you're a, a mighty king like Nebuchadnezzar and you're worshiping all these false gods and you're blaspheming, you're using all the articles of God to worship false gods, even though that's happening, the God of the universe is still 
revealing himself to Nebuchadnezzar. Think about it. Think about how graceful that is, how patient it is, how loving it is, that even though Nebuchadnezzar is choosing, purposely choosing, not to worship God, God is still faithful to reveal himself through dreams, through the furnace, and again through another dream. It's very graceful. And the fact that he's living like a wild beast for seven years is also graceful because he's given Nebuchadnezzar time to change his heart. Because of pride, his heart, his eyes, his ears, everything about him is so hard to God that he hasn't changed because of all the different things that have happened. He still hasn't changed. And now this moment for seven years, God knows that it'll take seven years. Nebuchadnezzar only knows because of the dream, but it will take seven years for Nebuchadnezzar to soften his heart to say, okay, God, now I know who you are. That's how God revealed his pride to him. Second is the pride monster. Now, I say pride monster not in a derogatory way or demeaning way, but pride is a monster. It's not from God. It's from the enemy. And I don't say it's a monster because he becomes like this wild ox. I'm just saying that if pride gets into our hearts, if pride gets, and I'll I'll tell you what, every single one of us in this building have struggled with pride at some time or another. We've all struggled with pride. It's the number one, it's one of the number one tactics that the enemies use since the beginning of time, right? That when Adam and Eve were sitting in creation uh, in front of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what did he say? You'll become like God, pride. Don't you want to know everything? Don't you want to be like God? Then eat of the fruit and then you'll see, you'll understand, you'll become like God. Again, it's dealing with our pride. The enemy uses pride to get us away from God. The enemy uses pride to destroy us. And this is what's happened in Nebuchadnezzar. He's become so hard to God because of his pride that even though God is revealing himself and he's doing miracles, literal miracles right in front of Nebuchadnezzar, he won't soften his heart. But God has been so graceful to him, so patient with him. And the seven years really is a blessing to Nebuchadnezzar, giving him an opportunity again to have a relationship with the Most High God. And so that's what happens. So then the pride monster, let's read this. Uh, this is, you'll find this in chapter four again. Uh, you begin to see, uh, now before I read the scripture, I wanna give you a piece of history. Um, I, part of my studies that I'm doing for Daniel is uh, from one of the books that I read called Daniel. It's from, uh, from Whitcomb. And he writes about uh, this, uh, this kind of uncovering from, you know, even today where archeologists are digging up things and are finding things and it's, it, once again, what's mind-blowing is it always proves the Bible true. Uh, but they were doing a dig, and here's what it says in this, uh, this book of Daniel that he wrote. He says, archaeologists have revealed a tablet that says, and the 37th year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Egypt to deliver a battle. And the 37th year of Nebuchadnezzar, he marched into Egypt, and he overcame Egypt, and he took their plunder, and he took Egyptians back to Babylon captive just like he did with all the other nations but this would have been his final battle because we know he ruled for about 40 some years this would have been his last battle and in the 37th year of his reign he conquered Egypt and I love what he says in the book and I'll just tie this together this is why I want to give you the piece of history and the same chapter chapter 4 verse 30 look at what King Babylon says now remember we're talking about the pride monster look at what he says imagine he just conquered Egypt 
He's standing before his people or he's looking in the mirror. I don't know what he's doing, but here's what he said. The king spoke saying this, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my, my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. Listen to how prideful that is. I did this. It's for me. It's about my power. It's about my majesty. Now look at verse 31. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And they will drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the wild beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times or seven years shall pass over you until uh, you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to him whoever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from the men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with dew of heaven till his grass had grown like eagles' feathers and his nails like birds' claws." Now, for me, it's almost, could you imagine? Not only, the, not only the illustration that Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man on the earth, but he went from the most powerful man on the earth to like an animal. Not only did King Nebuchadnezzar know, but the whole nation of Babylon knew. Because for seven years, he was in that field. For seven years, he was branded to that root of that tree. For seven years, he was eating grass like an ox. For seven years. Imagine how many people walked by him, looking and watching and seeing, this is what pride does. This is what pride does to us. This is what pride does to Nebuchadnezzar. And look, I'm not pointing fingers at Nebuchadnezzar saying, what a bad guy, although he made bad choices. All of us have dealt with pride. All of us deal with, especially in our day and age, the me, 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 me movement. It's all about selfies. It's all about me. It's all about what I'm doing and what I believe and what I think. And everything needs to change and adapt and manipulate and form to what I believe. And if you don't, then you're this or you're that. It's pride. It's not from God. And the scripture is very clear. God will raise up the humble and he'll cast down the prideful. And this is a beautiful illustration of what it looks like. It's not so much the man because God loves every person, but he hates the sin. And Nebuchadnezzar is learning that his sin is destroying not only his own personal life, but it's destroying the nation of Babylon. It's destroying the whole nation. I just wonder... And I love the nation that we live in, but I believe it's so important that we all deal with our own pride. It's so important that we all deal with the pride that's in us, that we humble ourselves before a holy God and we understand his heart. It's so important. And I think this is a great illustration and a great reminder that we can't allow the pride monster to continue to harden our hearts and harden our eyes and our ears to the living God. And even if so, and this is what I love. Even if that's the case, maybe you're sitting here today saying, I, I know I deal with pride. Here's the beautiful thing about today. God is still revealing himself to you. The fact that you're here, hearing this message about pride, about Nebuchadnezzar, who is at ape, an apex of what pride looks like in this time of his life. God still loved him enough to talk to him. And he still loves you enough to show you his grace and talk to you. It's never too late. 
I don't know about you, but I don't want to be chained to a tree eating grass because I won't deal with my heart. But if that's the case, God still loves you enough to help you and to help you understand. But that's what the pride monster does. It destroys, right? That's the enemy's tactic, to steal, kill, and destroy. And when we listen to the enemy's heart, that's what happens in our life. Pride begins to steal and kill and destroy. And this is what's happened in Nebuchadnezzar's life. The, the literal nation that he created, that he thought he created, that he thought he built, is now being taken away from him. The very life that he knew is now being taken away from him. The very gods that he thought he worshipped is now being taken away from him. And the big God over everything is revealing himself in a powerful way, in a way that we wouldn't fathom or imagine or understand, but it's all because of his grace and his love. So the pride monster is revealed. Finally, Babylon's destroyed by pride. The whole nation gets destroyed because of pride. Imagine that. The most powerful nation on the earth is not destroyed by tanks or missiles or armies that are bigger than yours marching in or machine guns or whatever the tactic or strategy is. It's not destroyed because of that. It's destroyed because of pride. That is the rotting of Babylon is pride. And I promise you, if pride is, is growing in our hearts and in our lives, it's rotting away at our lives as well. It's, it's rotting away whatever our intentions or desires are. The enemy is trying to destroy and kill and steal whatever you're trying to build in your own selfness, selfishness. You're actually destroying what you think you're doing. But God is here to help and God is here to bless and God is here to save and he's here to deliver. That's the good news. Even in our sin, right? That's what the scripture says. While we are yet sinners, Jesus died on the cross for us. He didn't wait for us to get it right. He knew that we were full of pride. He knew that we were full of sin. He knew that we made terrible mistakes. But while we were in the middle of that, he died for us. And if we'll open our hearts and our minds and our lives to him, it's amazing what his grace will do. And it's not simply just saying words. It really is your life beginning to change and transform and you becoming a follower of Christ, which means, yes, pride, the things that you thought were important before are gonna change, yes. But you're gonna learn about his heart. You're gonna see that God has so much more for you. The life that he has for you is so much bigger and it's a blessing to you. So let's look at how Babylon got destroyed by pride. Uh, there was a, so what, after Nebuchadnezzar was in that field for seven years, uh, remember Daniel said there will be a time when you're restored and God will restore your kingdom and he'll restore you to power. And he did. He was restored after that seven years for a short amount of time and then Nebuchadnezzar uh, perished. And there were other kings that were put into place uh, there's actually, I think, two or maybe even three kings that succeeded Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, but very quickly, you saw Babylon begin to decay and be divided and begin to weaken. And I'm here to tell you it's because of pride, because pride continued in Babylon. Sometimes we don't realize how powerful the Bible is, but the Bible says that uh, if we don't deal with our sin, it goes on to the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. And Nebuchadnezzar, although he had this moment seven years of in the field, 
the damage had been done. The pride had been, had been shipped out to so many people. So when he was removed from power, guess what? Another king came in with a lot more pride than he did and continued the same, the same tactics that Nebuchadnezzar did. His name was Belshazzar. Now remember, David's Babylonian name is Belshazzar. His name has no T, Belshazzar, and he's the king. Now it's interesting that Belshazzar wouldn't call Daniel Belshazzar. Now I don't know why, probably because his name is very similar. Actually, the meaning is the same. But it sounded like his name. And if you're a king with a lot of pride, you don't want anybody with your name. So he just called him Daniel, which was probably fine for Daniel. He liked his Jewish name much better. But I just want to show you, as Babylon got destroyed, Belshazzar's in charge. Let's read chapter 5, verses 1. This is, this is what's happening. Now, verse 1, Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver and cups that, uh, drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. So they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in, in Jerusalem. And the kings and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. While they drank from them, they praised the idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Let me just stop right there. The first stream, what was the statue made out of? Gold, silver, iron, wood, bronze, and stone. Suddenly, they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on a plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear, and his legs, his legs gave way beneath him. The king shouted for who? <laughs> you would have thought he would have shouted for Daniel, wouldn't you? But he shouted for the enchanters. He shouted for the... Uh, uh, where am I? The enchanters, the astrologers, the fortune tellers to, to be brought before him. Why? Because he wanted to know what the words on the wall meant. He was shaking, literally. You ever have one of those moments where you're shaking in your boots, your knees are knocking, you just have one of those moments? That's where he is. He's pale, he's a mess, and he's full of pride. And you're beginning to see that what God said is becoming true. What God said is happening. Belshazzar, this king, is using the literal uh, instruments from Jerusalem that were stolen by Nebuchadnezzar and brought into their treasuries. He's using the cups and the instruments and the plates or whatever he is to have this feast. And then he's using, with these same instruments, he's worshiping false gods with the very instruments that were made for the one true God. It's blasphemy to God. It's one of the ultimate sins, if we could label them, I guess is that we blaspheme against the Holy Spirit as we blaspheme against God. This is what Belshazzar's doing in his pride. He's taking the very things that were made for the Holy God and he's using them for his false gods. The same false gods that came from the image that was given to Nebuchadnezzar made of gold and silver and bronze and wood. All those same things in that statue, somebody, Nebuchadnezzar or Belshazzar, put gods over those elements. Isn't that interesting? Somebody did that. They made gods to worship what they saw in the statue. The same pride that was in Nebuchadnezzar is now in Belshazzar. 
I put this picture up there. Here's the handwriting on the wall. Now, this isn't the physical handwriting, but uh, it's just a uh, picture so you can see, because it's written in Aramaic, so this is what Aramaic would look like, and it goes from right to left if you actually read, not left to right in English, but uh, that would have been what he would have saw. It says, many, many tekel aparsin. That's what it translates out to in, in, uh, in Aramaic. But he didn't know what that meant, so he needed to be interpreted. So he calls all his wise people, just like who did? Nebuchadnezzar. Now, in some of your Bibles, I, in this translation I read, and it doesn't say it, but uh, in your Bibles, you'll see it as I read it later, Belshazzar is called uh, Nebuchadnezzar's son. And Nebuchadnezzar is his father. Now we know historically, he's not his physical son, biologically. Uh, but historically, just so you know, it's his son-in-law. He married Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. And would have been his son-in-law. So when we read this, it's not, the Bible's not inaccurate. It's actually pretty accurate. So some of you, if you have any in-laws, anybody have in-laws? Many of you do, right? Some, some in-laws call their father-in-law, mother-in-law, mom and dad, and their in-laws say son and daughter. And so in this culture, that was widely accepted. So when the Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar, your father, and you are his son, that would have been fine. That would have been accurate. Uh, but historians have tried to prove that the Bible's inaccurate by saying that, but it was a son-in-law, and this would have been uh, totally accurate and Really, the culture would have accepted it exactly the way it's written. So Belshazzar, being a son-in-law of Nebuchadnezzar, guess where he would have been as a son-in-law? He would have seen Nebuchadnezzar in that field years ago. He would have saw that Nebuchadnezzar, because of his pride, was in that field for seven years. He would have been part of that. Imagine spending, uh, well, they wouldn't have celebrated Christmas at that time, but imagine holidays, right? We can go see your dad today. Yeah, we'll go, we'll go by the field and check him out. <laughs> he would have also been there, or at least maybe they were dating. I don't know. We don't know when. Uh, I don't have the time frame of when they were married and those kind of things. But he would, have, he would have seen the pride of Nebuchadnezzar as well. He would have been part of the nation that was Babylon. He would have been part, even before they got married, he would have been part of the nation. He had been one of the people in Babylon. He would have been one of the citizens of Babylon. So he would have seen the great pride of Babylon. And here he becomes a son-in-law and soon a, a future king of Babylon. And he's ruling the same way Nebuchadnezzar did. Look, it's passed on generation to generation. And then God has had enough and he writes on the wall. Now, it's interesting that he writes on this wall. This is a huge banquet. Thousands of people, archaeologists, have, have dug up and have found pieces of this, of this long uh, you know, it would have been a, like a party room. It would have been a room that's made. They found all kinds of... Uh, artifacts and pieces that found this, but a thousand, imagine a thousand people, imagine that table. Imagine that room filled with a thousand people. Imagine a thousand people and Belshazzar himself seeing God right on the wall. Imagine that. And you don't know what it means, but you're looking at the king. How many of you know you'd look at the king if you saw that happening? They look at the king, they look at their leader, and he's pale and his knees are knocking. Call the astrologers. Call all the wise people. What does it say? I don't know. Go get Daniel. And they bring Daniel in. And here's where we are. Let's read it together. 25, verse 25 of chapter 5. This is the inscription that was written. Many, many tekel of Harson. This is the interpretation of each word. Many. Many. 
numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. Tekel means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. Parson uh, or up parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, because Daniel interpreted it. Now, if you read the whole chapter, if you got to, you'll know what I'm about to say. If you didn't, uh, Belshazzar said, Daniel, if you'll interpret this, I'll give you a lot of good things. I'll bless you. And Daniel said, I don't need your blessing. I'll just interpret it for you. But because Daniel interpreted it, Belshazzar commanded, Daniel was dressed in purple robes, a gold chain was hung around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Now remember that as we go into the next chapters. That very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Many, many tekel a parson. Many means... God has numbered the days of your reign and brought you to an end. Now, uh, many is repeated twice. You may ask why. Because this is, gives it a sense of urgency. It gives a sense of authority. Basically, here's what he's saying. You're done. Your days are not only numbered, it's happening now. He promotes Daniel, and that night he's killed. Now, Belshazzar wouldn't have known when. He just knew that it was going to happen soon. That's how amazing our God is. He sees the whole picture. He's never been wrong. He's never made a wrong choice. When God, uh, when somebody is full of pride like Belshazzar, when, when they're slain or they killed, look, God knows our heart's not going to change. He knows. But he still, he still loves us enough to reveal himself. And I know Belshazzar has seen God at work. I know he knew about the fire furnace. I, knew he, I know he knew about the dream. I knew he knew about Nebuchadnezzar. So he's seen God's hand at work, but he didn't care. He still blasphemed the holy God and he was slain. And remember that dream 40 years ago? King Nebuchadnezzar, you're the gold head, you're the greatest kingdom, but there will be a kingdom that will take you over. It's, it's the breast and the arms, and it's the Medes and the Persians. Forty years ago, God said this would happen, and guess who took over when he was slain? The Medes and the Persians. We have a faithful God. Whatever he says is true, and it will happen. I don't know where you are today, but I just want you to know that he knows you. He loves you. And I hope, again, if you walk away from anything in this message, I want you to see his grace his grace is available to every single one of us. Maybe you're at a place in life like Nebuchadnezzar or Belshazzar where you just, you don't know about God, you're not sure. Just because you're not sure and you don't know. Maybe you don't even worship him. He's still revealing himself to you. And you can know that's true because he did it for Nebuchadnezzar. He did that for Belshazzar. He has revealed himself to every person, Romans says, Everyone was, is without excuse because God has revealed himself to every person in all humanity. And if you don't believe that to, true, no, if you don't believe that to be true, you're here today and you've heard it. God is revealing himself. It's not about my word, it's about his word. And the reason why you're here is so God can reveal himself to you. His word always has purpose. It never returns void. It will accomplish what it's sent to do. And God is just telling you, I love you. I know your name. I know where you are. And so this morning, I just wanted to close with this thought. First of all, I want you to know how graceful God is. How amazing Jesus is. 
He's very patient. He's very graceful. Even though we're a mess. And I don't say that in a, in a mean way. Look, I've been a mess. I think any one of us can, if I was to, look, we've all had situations in our life where we've been a mess. We've all had situations where we didn't choose God. We've all had situations where we did not worship God. We've all had situations where we've sinned and we've fallen short. All of us have. Yet God is still revealing himself to all of us. I remember sitting uh, uh, in church one time, and so I'll give you a, a good pride story of myself. And so I don't want to put you in, uh, look, I'm going to be transparent. I had a huge pride moment one day. Uh, I was in Texas. My church was falling apart. I was, part of, I was on staff at that church. Uh, Jen and I moved to Dallas to help plant this church and start this church. But something major had happened, and it was falling apart. My pastor sinned. It was falling apart. And uh, we had this covering, we had this authority that was over us. They were really my pastor's best friends. And so kind of like these guys, they were, they were really yes men. And it was very frustrating. It was a very difficult time for us. But uh, anyway, we were having a family meeting. You guys know what those are like when a church calls a family meeting. Uh, not here at Westridge. Usually ours are very healthy and good. But usually when you go to a family meeting at church, a bomb's going to go off is basically usually what happens. So we had this family meeting and... Um, and we wanted no volunteers to be part of this as far as, uh, you know what I mean, like serving, like the sound and stuff. So I did sound because I'm a sound guy and I, I could do sound. I said, I'll do sound. And uh, so anyway, they're, they're giving us the, uh, the transcript. So when I do a message, my guys have a transcript of everything I'm going to say, what the points are, what the scriptures are. So they have, I'm going through the transcript and I'm saying, guys, this is not going to be a good meeting. And so I'm talking the same. I'm not trying to spread gossip. I'm just saying, guys, because we were hurt and we were, it was a mess and things were falling apart. And I said, guys, look at what's, what's going to be said is not going to be good. And this covering of this church, and they were our authority. And so I'm not telling you to buck authority, but in this place, my pride got the best of me. And I was talking to uh, the pastor that was above me. And I said, hey, look, this is what's going to be said. And he couldn't believe it. And I said, you know what? I just won't turn his mic on. That's what I said in my pride. I just won't turn his mic on. And he looked at me and says, you can't do that. And I said, oh, yes, I can. <laughs> Push that button right there, it's off. <laughs> and so, you know, we went through this debate and uh, I think we cast some harsh words back and forth. And, uh, but my pride got the best of me. Now I didn't ultimately, I turned the mic on. But this is what pride does. It tries to usurp the authority that's above you. And they were our authority and I needed to fall under that covering. I just didn't like it. Same as Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't like when God was speaking to him. He didn't like it. And I just, I say that to encourage you that, look, if you're dealing with pride, God loves you. He wants to help you. His grace is for you. And there's no better person in the world to talk to than God. He's not going to contemn you. He's not going to judge you. Now, he will humble us, but that's a good thing, actually, if he humbles us. Even if he has to make us like a wild beast so we'll learn, look, that's grace. Because he's trying to save you from destroying yourself. He's trying to save you from just allowing the enemy to destroy everything that you are, to throw your character out the window, to throw your integrity out the window, because that's what pride does. It doesn't care about anybody else but yourself. So if you're here today and you're dealing with that, I just want you to know God's here. He knows your name. He loves you. And he's revealing himself to you right now. If you're here today and you haven't given your life to Jesus, now's the opportunity. 
I can't save you. Nobody in this room can save you, but Jesus himself will save you. Romans 10 says, all you've got to do is confess with your mouth and believe that he, Jesus Christ, is the Lord. Yes, repent of your sins. Yes, tell God you're sorry, especially if it's pride or anything that we're dealing with. Look, it doesn't matter. Jesus died on the cross for all of it. Whether it's pride, whether it's whatever you're going through, he died for all of it. And he wants to forgive you, bless you. But let's be clear, go and sin no more. God wants to show you a different way of life, a blessing. In fact, Jesus says it's a life that's abundant and full. It'll be a blessing. And so if that's you today and you need to give your life to Jesus, now's the time. Say it in your own words. You don't need to, you don't need to have spiritual words to say. Just say, God, I am so sorry. I'm making you Lord of my life. And from today forward, you follow Jesus. None of us are perfect. You may mess up, but you stay focused on following Christ. You stay focused on seeking him and finding him and following him and allowing his word to transform and change you because it's a treasure. Trust me, it's a treasure. Why don't you stand on your feet? I want to pray with you. Lord, I thank you for this church. Lord, if there's anybody in this place that needs to make you Lord of their life, Lord, I'm so thankful. Lord, just a few days ago, we had 80 plus kids in this room. And many of them made Jesus Lord of their life. Many of them. A couple of them said, I want to be water baptized. And so, Lord, I'm just thankful that, Lord, you say in your word, have faith like a child. Here we are. These children were so precious. I'm so thankful to see them worshiping you, excited to be in the presence of you every day. And Lord, so if there's somebody here that needs to receive you today, Lord, and they know, they feel it in their heart, Lord, they're sensing you speaking to them. They're here today and they understand that God is talking to them. Holy Spirit, would you speak to them? Would you transform them? And if that's you, look, just surrender, confess, repent, and receive and see that God won't change you right here, right now. And Lord, for anybody that's here that's struggling with pride or anything at all, anything at all, Lord, soften their hearts, open their eyes, open their ears. Let them not have stiff necks. Let them see you for who you are. And so, Lord, I just pray you'd help soften, reveal yourself to them. Lord, and I know you've done so through this message, but continue, continue to reveal yourself. Let them see you in a way they never have before. Lord, if it's pride, help them become humble. Lord, I love what Daniel's instruction was. Stop sinning. And choose what's right, which is the heart of God and the word of God. And so if that's you today, I just spend some time with the Lord. I just pray that right now in the presence of God, you would just take a moment right where you are as we sing this last song. Just spend time and just say, God, I, I love you and I'm, I'm so sorry I made this choice or they made this decision. Look, I don't know what it is, but he does. Take some time and say, Lord, forgive me. And I love you and I thank you for revealing it to me. And I'm going to choose better. I'm going to walk out of here better than the way I walked in. In the mighty name of Jesus, everyone said. Let's worship together. And look, like I said, make this personal. It's not about the people in the room, the person next to you. It's about you and God. So whatever it is. Look, if you're at a good place with God, then praise him for that. You know how good it is when God is 
an active part of your everyday life. You know how good it is when God is for you and not against you. You already know that, so you can praise him for who he is in your life. But maybe pray for those people around you. You may not know them, but just take some time and pray for people around you. Because this is about other people. This is about God and people. It's what it's all about. But if you're here today and you just need to confess or you need to receive Jesus, you can do that right now during this song. Just make it personal. Be yourself. Use your own words. God loves you exactly the way you are. And he wants to meet you where you are. So let's worship together. And I'm going to have my prayer teams come forward. If you want prayer for anything, if it's this message, if it's salvation, if it's whatever it is, we want to pray with you. So you can come at any time during the song, after service. You're not disrupting us. So you just come whenever you want to pray. We'll pray for you. There's so much power in prayer. I wish I could tell you all the miracles that are happening. Uh, I will here in the days ahead. But God is answering our prayers in miraculous ways. So if you need prayer, let's, let's pray together. If God's answered a prayer, tell them. Tell us so we can celebrate with God and with you. Uh, I look forward to hearing it. But let's worship together. And again, if you need prayer, you can come at any time. Let's worship Jesus.